The winemakers are up next, but first, check out this other great show on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. <clears throat> A lot of anchors do that. <clears throat> are you ready? Oh, boy. Okay, here we go. Three, two, one. Hi, I'm Howard Sudbury. And I'm Steve Baskerville. That Let's was do good. it again. What? That was good. Okay, you ready? Yeah. Hi, I'm Howard Sudbury. And I'm Steve Baskerville. Back to you on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Great talk radio isn't dead. It just moved to a better place. Radiomisfits.com. I need an agent. From the birthplace of modern winemaking, Sonoma, California. Welcome to the winemakers. Local experts Sam Katuri, Bart Hansen, and Brian Casey, along with host John Myers, invite you to listen in as they discuss all facets of winemaking. So sit back, pour yourself a glass, and let's hear what the guys have to say this week. Quiet. That was a quiet bottle. Are you okay? You're like pouring in the closet with silent purposes? I want to even know you're there drinking it. Oh, t- Taylor, you pull that microphone right up as close as you All can right, get. How's that? Till you basically. So by the time we get done with the show, that microphone should be soaking wet. Right. Perfect. Taylor, <laughs> you, you have covered. a voice. You have a voice made for radio. We'll you know, I was actually that. at the bank, and that's uh, what the lady said as well as I was coming over here. Is so that right? Apparently, okay. that's the word on the street. <laughs> Thank God there aren't any photos. As opposed yeah. to the rest of us who just obviously have faces for radio. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the winemakers, everyone. <laughs> That's what you call a fast entry. <laughs> Cold intro. Cold uh, intro. I poured Cab Franc Rosé into my glass. Yes. Some of my... From 2018. From, from the radio voice of the century. Amazing TV color on that wine, too. Thank you very much. Yeah. Well, Taylor, uh, welcome. Thanks, Bart. It's a pleasure to be here. Glad we could finally make it happen. Yeah, I was trying to think, how did we meet? We met over, it was over Chenin Blanc, I know that. Uh, I actually was thinking about this on the drive over. It was before I knew you were making Chenin. I bought some barrels from uh, over to Lassiter. Oh, that's right. You loaded me up years and years, like uh, August of 16. Yeah. I was desperate for some oak for right. my, my nascent uh, wine project. And you were the one who helped me load up, and, and I think I gave you some money. I'm not sure where it went, but I hope it went to the right guy. It did. It did. <laughs> he he need he's very he needed his money. So yeah. it, we we had very good accountants at that job. Uh, <laughs> and then later on in that harvest, you actually reached out because I'd mentioned I was making Shannon and Cavron right. when I stopped by, and you actually had a couple of uh, extra gallons that. Yeah, that's what happens when you say, "Oh, sure, I'll take the end of the block," and I went from and two went, tons, yes. yeah, right. from two tons to I think three and a half. That's also the magic of harvest, right? There's always plenty of fruit to go around in the uh, in the thick of things, right? And Unless the there's not <laughs> until there isn't, right? Until, up until there isn't. Lately, there has been though. So you actually uh, helped me out on pinch. You, you sold me a couple barrels and, of and Chenin Blanc. You, yeah, it was it was just juice. We did it. I mean, we, it was a quick thing. Yep. And um, you sold and you the barrels had, and then you filled them for them. Mm. Uh, well, that was different barrels, but yeah, basically, um, and uh, and it helped me out because I had not budgeted to buy three and a half tons. I was trying to figure out how I was going to pay for two tons at that point. Um, but 2016 Dharma's Buddha Shannon, and then you blended you blended that with your other source. Yeah, right? I'm I'm sourcing from a vineyard that's just south of yours, um, Tim Norgard's Sterling Ranch. I've been yep. working with that since my first vintage in 2016. Right. Uh, it's a really lovely older vine, Shannon, for, for California, especially. Yep. Uh, 40-year-old vines on old AXR1 rootstock. But in 16, there were three or four of us who were picking from the same block. And being an old farmer, Tim only wanted to do one delivery. 
you know, we're all small. We're all asking for three or four tons. He's used to selling the entire lot in one go. Right. I didn't want to be driving down to Sonoma County three or four times during the harvest. So we all had to kind of put our heads together. Uh, and winemakers are really great at coming to consensus. So it ended up being a little earlier. You, you, that was <laughs> I'll slip that, one in that, that radio voice and that straight face. I was like, wait, he didn't really mean that. Did he? <laughs> so uh, the, the fruit came in just a touch earlier and a touch leaner than I wanted. Um, and so I, I used your Dharma Buddha pick from a little later to blend in and kind of flesh out my, my 16. Cool. Yeah. Cool. So why don't we, um, back up a little bit here because you, your first day in the wine business, the, <laughs> First day in the wine business wasn't starting your own um, wine label. It was not, no. Um, how did you that kind of... Be, that would be ballsy, that wouldn't would it? Be, be well, a, a strong <laughs> It's been done. <laughs> right. Has it um, been succeeded? Well, is there I'm young and dumb. You're throwing I think up money at it. That dumb. Um, how, no. did, how did you get started in this business? So I, uh, I come to wine not from any straight path whatsoever. Um, definitely a very circuitous well, route. <laughs> who does? <laughs> uh, I grew up in, in Illinois, a couple hours south of Chicago. And growing up, my dad always used to say that his favorite wine was beer. So most of my <laughs> early drinking experiences were raiding uh, duvets and chemises out of dad's, duvets and chemises out of dad's uh, Oh, so uh, he actually was drinking... Oh, yeah. Okay, Wine-styled beer, basically, all right, all right. Uh, which made it really hard to go to college. I'm not going to lie. Going from right. Chimay back to Keystone Light was a, was a stretch. Um, but I also had the great generational misfortune of graduating university at the bottom of the financial crisis back in 2008. Okay. And where was that at? Class, what though? university? University of Illinois. Okay. Yep. Line in I. Champaign. Fighting the line. Yeah, in that's Champaign my, my wife. Went to that's yeah, right. That's you right. mentioned yeah. that. Uh, that's really the there's the, really the connection. There that's all he really cares. He and his wife. He knew he, his wife and I would get along, so that's why we've been <laughs> friends until she gets here in a little while and kicks us out. <laughs> <laughs> and that concludes today's episode yeah. of Up Winemaker. Sorry, we all gotta go. Um, and so my best laid plans of going to law school or business school really weren't seeming like best laid plans anymore. And so I actually wound my way out to California working with uh, AmeriCorps and the National Park Service. Hmm. Did a stint building trails up in the Shasta Trinities, uh, cool. living in a tent, doing my best Jeremiah Johnson, terrifying my parents that their firstborn son is just going to go way off, literally into the woods. Uh, but when I got out, I, while well, I enjoyed living in a tent and building trails, realized that I was missing some civilization. Was this a paying job? Yeah, I got paid good money okay. by the state okay. and had zero cool. expenses. Cool. Government cheese. Yeah. Right? <laughs> is that like government mule <laughs> well hey hey our food and mail came in on the back of mule team so yeah, okay there you go uh but when i got out i needed some culture and some civilization beeline for san francisco and landed in wine country okay. during the harvest of 2009 okay um, i'd known that obviously somebody made wine but getting to see firsthand that real people who were as average as i am did it uh really just kind of inspired me to to try a new adventure and so having missed the harvest here in the northern hemisphere I applied my international relations degree uh, and a, sought a job out in uh, New Zealand and got picked up for actually two years uh, to do a viticultural apprenticeship down there, learning how to grow grapes for an organic and biodynamic winery. So not a, not a seasonal internship, not a harvest internship. You were there for two years straight. They initially brought me on just to pick grapes for the okay. harvest and then uh, decided to keep me on. And I learned most of my viticultural information and, and you know, foundational knowledge 
from that experience. Yeah, they kept me for about two years. Wow. Because you don't you don't hear about that that often. Usually, you know, you hear about the people throw the backpack on, sure. go do harvest in right. New Zealand, and then come back here for a season, and then they're back in South America, and then they go to, you know, well, and France, again, and can swing to around. go back to my original comment that, you know, your first, your first job in the wine business was, uh, and it wasn't even here in the States. You right. actually thought about it and went, you know, to the Southern Hemisphere to do it. That's part of that cool. was, um, and they speak English there. They do that helped a yeah. lot. And the visa, <laughs> at least when I applied, the visa was free. So as long as you could prove that you were under thirty and, and not a felon, they would let you into the country, and that that definitely helped. Yeah, um, that's ironic. <laughs> that's all they what, care about. The f- that well, that is not a felon. You know, started as a penal colony, and they won't let you in if you're a felon. <laughs> right. That was Australia. I mean, New Zealanders will take offense oh, oh, to that. Yeah, Watch yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it is, it is funny. I did outstay my my visa, so it might have been a felon before I left. Right. But <laughs> you weren't a felon when you got there. You are now. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it was kind of by default. I'd missed the harvest here. I, I knew I wanted to try this crazy wine thing and see if I liked it before potentially going back to Davis or Fresno and getting a, a master's or, or doing some more education. Uh, so New Zealand was a great option for me to get my feet wet while having a big adventure. I mean, I ended up living there for, for nearly two years, which is outstanding. Uh, and where, where were you in New Zealand? I was in central Otago. Okay. I worked for a winery called Felton Road. Oh, yeah. Um, Certainly one I've heard of. Yeah, through dumb luck, I landed one of the top Pinot producers in the country, um, which actually set the stage for the rest of my career because then when I was looking to work here in California, the people most interested were Sonoma County Pinot producers. Right. So I parlayed Felton Road into a harvest gig at Costa Brown and worked with Ted Lemon at Literai after um, my, my bottom end experience to continue that mm-hmm. uh, philosophical bent. Mm-hmm. Um, Can yeah. you hook us up with getting Ted on the show? Do my best. <laughs> He event, he usually returns my call, which is nice of him. Okay, cool. <laughs> Tell him I have about ten vintages of their wine, different vineyard designates. All right, the release yeah. just went open, went live. So you know, maybe buy a couple more and they'll bend his ear. No, no, I don't need any more. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. I'm trying to get rid of. I did notice the bard used to this. He's now doing Chenin Blanc. I know. Well, that's you know one of the reasons I figure if we have him on the podcast, we might get to taste the Chenin because the Chenin's very very small. It's yeah. a very small. Well, they grafted over. Blanc. One of their blocks that was Gewurz, Schmina, Riesling, like an experimental block, yeah. fully to Shannon. Yeah. I think he's stealing my good idea. We, um, your, our good idea. We, we <laughs> had him for a very short time as a consultant at Benziger uh, when mm. they started the Pinot Project out at Bodega. Uh, and he's an interesting guy. He's, uh, oh, it was he's a great a, experience. He's a deep, th- deep yeah. thinker. I worked the 2011 vintage uh, at Literai, which, as you guys, I'm sure, well remember, was a Really, really difficult year. Yeah. Um, the further you got to the coast, the more oh my God. it was. Right. We actually had to declass an entire Chardonnay uh, vineyard that year because it just, I mean, it wasn't going to get above 21 bricks. And then the rains came. And so then it was all Botrytis. And he made a lovely uh, dessert wine out of it. But, you know, it's making how many le- th- lemonade out of lemons. Right. You know? How many 375s of late harvest Chardonnay can you make? Can you sell? Yeah. But working well, for if you're literary, well, that's true. Sell all true. Of them. And working for a guy who's cut his teeth in Burgundy in the coldest vintage at Sonoma County in recent memory was, I mean, a great experience for me as an intern. I wouldn't have wanted to be his assistant winemaker that year because I'm sure it was super stressful. Yeah. But as one of the peons, a great time. This Shannon is great. It's what's really unique about it is it's, it's like backed. It's like backed here. down on the fruit and more on the mineral. Like it's uh, yeah. So what I've come to discover from uh, Norgard's Sterling Ranch in, in the three years I've been working with now, going on four, uh, it ripens at a lower bricks. So, you know, we 
Uh, a couple of us are still bringing this in more or less at the same time. And it's always around 21 and a half to 22 bricks. That's it. Huh. And the flavors are all there in the vineyard. But we keep this screaming acid profile because it's all California sprawl meets minimal pruning technique. So you've got Sounds this. Sounds so familiar. Yeah, right? <laughs> all that fruit that's exposed to the sun has this great slight sunburned, uh, nice you know, tertiary fruit character. It's getting into apricot and honeysuckle and, and honeycomb. And then down the middle, it's green apple and like 19 and a half and all of the acid you could possibly want. So to temper that, um, I leave it on skins for about a day. It's a technique I stole from, like straight up stole from Austria. Uh, worked to harvest there in 2014. And for their nicer gruners and Rieslings, they would set it on skins overnight and then huh. go to press. So they would actually crush it yep. and let it sit on skins and press it the next day. Got brought in and everything at that winery went through a uh, crusher. The whole thing got, got must pumped up to the third story where it would then sit in hoppers to be fed into the press, to be dropped down to the settling tanks, to be dropped down to the cave right. in a true gravity fashion. After, of course, you mechanically pump it up. <laughs> right. uh, but I really liked what that did for Gruner Wiener and some of their um, nicer vineyards. It just kind of broadened out that mid palette nicely. And so yeah, I wait a minute. What it. crush pad facility are you going to that's got the three story gravity? Well, like <laughs> Canola in Austria has been at it for 350 years. So they've, you know, got the ability to spread a bit and you got a big ladder. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, it was, it was a four inch must line that ran. Right up the side of the building. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was wow. it was actually pretty cool, and it was chilled too. So it would it would that was their version of uh, they didn't pick at night, picked everything during the day, and then it went through this this must line that was chilled on down, and nice. fruit got dropped down to right. you know forty five degrees. It's a it's, so it's a it's a pipe and pipe, and so right. the must go. But how do you clean something like that? You don't. You don't. Okay. Well, <laughs> it's chilled. You're just hoping that it's chilled enough. Yeah, I mean, you you can clean it. They make these sponge balls that you can put through those, and they're toss a big. They're too small. I mean, they actually do a pretty good job, and as long as it's stainless steel, you know, it is quote unquote sanitary. And then you throw a lot of caustic at it, and a lot of citric, and you you basically have to nuke it. What ended up happening is, (laughs) but they just let the tartrates build up, and so by the end of harvest was when we did our big deep clean. They'd fill it up with caustic and hot water and just sit it for three days. Yeah. <laughs> and then you let it go, and there's just still chunks of tartaric flying out the back end. Yeah. Uh, but it worked great for, for Riesling and Gruner, and so I copied that kind of. I don't have you know a chilled muscline or the ability to do quite as much, but foot tread all my bins and set them in the cold room overnight. Wait. Oh, so you didn't crush it. You right. just foot treaded. <laughs> Again, I don't have, didn't have all those abilities. Right. Whose who's feet? Well, definitely mine. Oh, boy. <laughs> all right, I'm going to have to get a picture of those feet, so we're going to post on Instagram. I've got a you couple. You will sell no, no wine. I know, right? <laughs> Nobody wants the foot tread anything anymore. Well, huh? no, you know what? It's really funny. As much as, as much, as many photos as there are of people foot treading, there sure are a lot of people that complain about you when you foot tread, you know, and maybe uh, people like myself. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I well, guess no human pathogens great, so. can live in wine. Exactly. No, I think it's Thank that you, I just Sam. don't, I don't have pretty feet. And, and you so wash I it. You will, you will after foot treading eight bins of Chenin Blanc. Great exfoliation. Oh, so I maybe that's you. the thing. Maybe I need to do it. <laughs> it's a catch 22. I have to, I have to do it to get the pretty you feet really to do. do it. And then they're photo ready once you're done. It's great. Right. It's, it's a but perfect. But the amazing thing is, you know, is shorts. Pants are optional. The, the like, just, you keep know. The, just keep the boxers on. Right. <laughs> Button the fly, you know. <laughs> I've got some. I've got some photos from the last vintage I can send your way for it's sure. The foot treading, the reds, you know, like foot treading petite straw. I'm doing that next year. I'm going to do dong tread. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm just gonna say today's the before, uh, before we move on. <laughs> this is the second episode we're recording in a row. Before we move on, I'm just gonna say wow. Yeah. <laughs> DT, yeah, we did the DT this year. D- really gives it that extra character, huh? Got that well, uh, well, you do pick Rusan when it's <laughs> ugly beautiful, right? <laughs> um, well, this Shannon's drinking lovely. Thank you. Uh, yeah, skin contact for a day, and then I do a full it's year. Nice save for <laughs> Full year in barrel on heavy full leaves. Year in yeah. neutral. Uh, this one had, a, I, I needed some vessels, so again, I had to buy some barrels. These are... Um, 20% once used neutral barrels and stainless steel barrels as well. In 2018, which would be the vintage I raw at end of March, uh, I brought, bought a concrete egg in a oh. fit of hubris. Uh, and How much you know, did that run you? I don't want to talk about it. Okay. <laughs> That's between him and his credit card yeah. company. <laughs> lots and lots of American dollars. Uh, but it's, a, it's, it's Mark Nomblo's new company. So he sold uh, Nomblo uh, tanks to somebody else in France and started up Oeuf de Bonne. Okay. But he's he's now sourcing his uh, sand from the bottom of the Loire River, so they sold me on the marketing. I'm making Loire varietals here in California. Yeah. I've now got a concrete egg that comes from the Loire. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Stuff. I I also really like the character of the Shannon that comes out of it. Yeah. Um. So I'm I'm at about thirty percent concrete egg, thirty percent neutral French, and thirty percent either large format acacia or stainless steel. So you're f- fermenting and aging in the concrete yeah. egg. Yep. And are you, the, but the egg is only for the Shannon. You're not. Um, if I could afford one, I'd buy one for uh, Cap Franc. Yeah. Yeah. So my varietals are Shannon and Cap Franc. Right. And, and I wouldn't do it for everything. Like not 100% right. uh, concrete Cap Franc, unless it was like a. I think a we're learning that most people feel that way. Like, you know, it's not 100%. It's, it's a. I, it could be for whites, I think. I I did a month in South Africa this past year. And one of my uh, favorite visits was, uh, I'm going to butcher this, Buchtenhutsch Cliff. Yeah. It's like exactly how I pronounce it. Um, and their Semillon is 100% concrete. <laughs> okay. And he it, goes it rocks. <laughs> yeah. And for certain varietals, I do think it'll work. Right. Um, I wouldn't do it 100% for reds, but I've had a 100% concrete Grenache that was rocking. So, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's, I think it's, it's varietal. It, yeah. You kind of go by varietal. And varietal, then, and vintage, then, vineyard. And, and, I mean, yeah. Like I mean, anything. it's just like everything else. Yeah. yeah. I will say, you know, we, um, we're finally let into the Stone Edge uh, concrete egg for some of our 19 homage blanc. Had some Roussan, uh, you know, co-fermented. So it's the Roussan with the Grenache blanc and the and the Marsan in the egg as one of you know three lots. Most of it was barrel fermented, um, little stainless, and, and then the egg. And you know, 100 percent egg. It definitely. Um, you know, is stylistically pretty different. People, some people would dig it. Some people might not. Uh, oh, yeah. But as a component in that blend, yeah. uh, it is the finishing touch that that wine's needed, in my opinion. You know, it brings uh, it all together. Totally. Yeah. Totally. I think that's, that's what, what Bart that's what the concrete does to my Shannon. Yeah, I think when I in the sixteen, I was able to use a little bit of concrete, and we tasted a lot. You know, is there three different wines here: stainless oak and Shannon and I mean, stainless oak and concrete, and and the concrete was delicious, but it was because it was so different, and ultimately the the combination of the three were hands and you know, right. way ahead. Way that, ahead. That's what did uh, what did you know? Did you notice anything special about the change in like palate weight versus barrels? Because I've noticed a really interesting like complete one eighty concrete. Yeah, I mean, the barrel. concrete really gave it a real freshness mm-hmm. um, and lifted the fruit. I found. 
Um, and um, uh, and the barrel, uh, yeah. I mean that that would be my biggest comment. Then the difference. Yeah. What about yourself? Uh, for for my Shannon's, the concrete gives this great almost tropical note on the on the aromatics, and then really shuts down the palate. Hmm. And then the barrels, my palate or my excuse, my aromatics are are pretty muted because mm-hmm. I'm using neutral oak. It's not imparting any sort of um, you know barrel flavor right. to it. But then the the mid palate weight on the barrels is fantastic. Right. And so when you marry the two, I kind of get the best of both worlds yeah. where I still have that nice lifted, um, almost tropical, but not quite fruit aromatic and then great palate weight. To the the thing that happened, the concrete that caught me off guard the most is that it went instantly went through ML and I have no <laughs> idea why, um, but it hmm. did. And it didn't, you, it didn't appear to when you tasted it, you wouldn't have thought it was through ML you know, it's still, um, and I think that was because of the influence of the concrete kind of masked mm-hmm. some of the, With the pH, the, the richness and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Well, tell us about this mouthwatering cabinet. Uh, <laughs> this yes. So in my glass right now, uh, I brought a little, a little something special. Uh, 2016 was my first commercial vintage after 10 harvests working for other people. Uh, after having just turned 30 and, uh, had a difficult midlife uh, crisis. I had a health crisis, actually. Oh, sorry. Yeah. No, it's all right. I'm, I'm far enough removed that I can talk about it. Uh, a week after my 30th birthday, I had a heart attack. Wow. What? Yeah. Shit. Yeah, I'd run uh, the San Francisco Half Marathon, marathon the summer before, was doing CrossFit, was, uh, you know, otherwise fit as a fiddle. I know. <laughs> Sam, I mean, they'll kill you. They'll take you out. Uh, and, you know, for lack of a better word, dropped out of a heart attack. Uh, thankful for friends and family in uh, St. Joseph's Sonoma for bringing me back, but that'll make you sit up and... You take stock of your life and what you're doing. And when I, you know, got home at the end of a long day, the question of what am I doing was, you know, breaking myself for somebody else. And that's not what I got into this for. So, uh, I took that opportunity to reevaluate and readjust my priorities. Uh, and that's actually what led me to, to starting this brand is that I didn't get into winemaking to grow old for somebody else. I got into to grow old for for me, basically, right. <laughs> which is happening quite quickly now that I have a label. What could I do that's less stressful than working for other people's winery? No, yeah. start my start own. Start my own. Do everything. Yeah, totally got it. <laughs> so uh, August of 2016, I, I founded T. Berkeley Wines. And uh, while I've made mostly Pinot, I mean, I worked for Felton Road, which really clued me into the Pinot Noir world. Um, Cal Franc was one of my original muses. That's what got me interested in pursuing winemaking as a career. So I always knew that if I was going to make something with my name on it, it was going to be Cab Franc. And, and what was it about Cab Franc? Well, yeah, well, and what was that Cab Franc? <sighs> or was there several? There were several. Okay. Yeah, in, in that first experience out here in, in Napa and Sonoma, uh, I was 23. I didn't know my ass from my elbow. Uh, I knew that wine was a beverage that got you drunk. And it was Cab Francs in these grander tastings that, that every time just kind of made me sit up and take note. So they really resonated with me on a, on a greater level than everything else I was trying. Uh, and that, that resonation has stuck with me. So um, searching for Cab Franc is a bit difficult. Uh, <laughs> it's officially become the most sought-after varietal in Napa right, now. because well, there's just not a lot of it. Yeah. Well, and you, typically if people are taking Cab Franc, they're probably taking some other things at the same time, right? It's on a piece of property right. that might have some Bordeaux varietals. Yeah, 10 like, tons of Cab. And it's like, oh, you just want to come in and take... Four tons of Cab Franc that are going to make you still have a Cabernet, right? right? Yeah, there is like a lot of it that's still cookies going cookies and you say, I want to buy all your sugar. They're like, well... Yeah. No, I'm gonna make cookies. <laughs> right. yeah. 
Um, it is gaining popularity, which right. is awesome. I'm literally betting in the bank that Cabernet Franc is positioned kind of how Pinot Noir was 25 years ago, where it's you know it's accessible, it's understandable, it's going to become or is becoming, excuse me, sought after. So I'm I'm betting on a rise in popularity. It's got and Cabernet in the in the in the name, in the right? Title, right? That doesn't make you understandable. I don't know what I, it is. It's not converse <laughs> demeanor. Um, so in 2016, it's I, not I reached out. <laughs> well, uh, that's a different argument for another day. Yeah. Um, Reached out to all the growers and winemakers in my network, asking for a tiny amount. I wanted, you know, two to three tons if I could if I could afford it. Um, I have taken from my my time spent at Felton Road a philosophical bent that might be more aligned with enterprise vineyard management than not. I was looking for organic or biodynamic if I could find it, but I'm also pragmatic. You know, I'm poor and trying to start a wine label. So I think that's the definition of pragmatic. Yeah, right. right? I like to say dog, right. poor. pragmatic, not dogmatic. Um, but I, I reached out to Steve Mathiason, who I've never met, who, has, who doesn't know me from a stick in the mud, uh, and he was kind enough to get back with some, some suggestions on uh, growers oh. he knew and places he knew that calf was available. He actually farmed this vineyard for a number of years beforehand. So it had been farmed organically for years. Um, this is the Leaning Oak Vineyard from Napa's Browns Valley, just uh, due north of Domain Carneros, in uh, the Canaros ABA, and they were great enough to let me purchase two tons of them, which is a tiny little amount. So this is my, my first commercial release of red wine, uh, 2016 Leaning Oak Cab Franc, which just uh, this past December I functionally sold out of. Uh, I've got my last couple of cases left for library, and that's about it. Okay, so, so you let's brought one of them for us. I did. I brought All one right. for you guys today. Let's, okay, let's talk about exactly where that is, because that's kind of cool that. I mean, you think of Pinot and Chard basically growing in that area. And right? I mean, it's it's just, you know, northeast of Hudson uh, and right. Hyde. So there's a bunch of Syrah right. down there. Hudson's got everything, frankly. Um, but, they, but you're getting a lot of maritime influence, right? You're getting some fog. It's, definitely. it's under fog some... pretty much most of the summer uh, yeah. up until about one, two o'clock. It's in the foothills of the Mycomas. This vineyard itself was on this 270 degree hillside round. So pretty much all ripening levels from you wow. know, southwest all the way to northeast, uh, facing mostly west. So it did catch some of that uh, afternoon, a little more afternoon sun than it would otherwise. And, you know, 25-year-old dry farm by default. The uh, Napa when, earthquake when had broken their irrigation system and they never fixed it. So. Oh, <laughs> well, then when you have that much fog, does it does it actually kind of water the, the vines because you're getting the moisture in the air? You're getting some transpiration, but it's not the same. You get a little fog drip, you know, keeps the... if. Probably more than anything, it keeps the moisture in the soil. Yeah, you're, just, you're not losing as much through evaporation. Right, you know, the top half inch of the, of the soil might be dampened by the fog, and it sort of acts like a, a barrier. Huh. Keeps things keeps a little things. moisture. Yeah. Of course, with the good comes the bad. You do have a higher disease pressure with constant moisture right. hanging out. But thankfully, at 25 years old, these vines pretty much self-regulated. Because what else was out there? It's kind of a, just an unusual place for Cabernet Franc. So, like, did, did well, they these have- guys actually planted Cab Franc because the only vineyard they could see from their house was Robert Sinsky's Cab Franc Vineyard in Carnaros. Huh. They looked around. They they had bought this land. Uh, I don't know. Gosh, in the eighties, and initially built homestead, and then the uh, the father was actually a developer, so he built a number of homesteads, built this little um, neighborhood out there, a little subdivision. But then they wanted to plant vines in their uh, backyard. And he looked around at the only vineyard they could see and then went and knocked on the door. And it was, it was Robert Sinsky. And so they, they decided to plant. healthy. And, yeah. And it was yeah. doing well. And then I'm sure they got to try some wine and thought it was tasting well. And so on the yeah. back of that, you know, locational recommendation, they picked Cap Franc. Huh. Yeah. Cool. 
It's a nice wine. Thank you. Can I try the yeah. 17 before? Yes, you, you may. Um, so the I also brought my 2017. Uh, this is a Sonoma County Cab Franc. I looked into Napa fruit in 2016, but cannot otherwise afford Napa fruit. So in 2017, I sourced Cab Franc from two different vineyard sites in Sonoma County. Um, well, especially because Cab Franc, it it gets a premium, right? Because it, it's I think 7,500 is the average. Yeah, because people are always looking for it, and there's just not that much plant. Hey, welcome to the show, Bart. <laughs> <laughs> Where were you? Uh, that's what happens when you walk out for a phone call. <laughs> Never answer your phone on the podcast. Right. Yeah. No matter so, how much it'll piss your wife right. off. <laughs> um, so in 2017, well, actually 2016, 17, 18, I've, I've grown my winery slowly but surely. It's not hard when you start with five tons to grow from there. Um, in 17, I brought in two different Cap Franc sites with the idea to kind of emulate um, Litterai or Costa Brown's model with Pinot, where I had a vineyard designate and then an AVA wine. Uh, and I'd kind of like to do that, that model going forward as I continue to grow, source from lovely, like-minded Capron vineyards throughout Northern California. And then after I've made the best blend possible, have some lovely AVA expressions as well to go with that. So I uh, found a monopole vineyard in Fountain Grove on the Napa County line. But Wait, explain County. what you mean by monopole vineyard. It is a small uh, two-and-a-half-acre vineyard that I source exclusively. I'm the only, uh, only one who takes the fruit. Owners take a half ton every year to make for Christmas gifts, but other than that, I'm, I'm the one who's sourcing the whole vineyard. And are you making that wine for them for the Christmas gifts? I've offered to if they want it, but they've had a long-term uh, relationship with... Uh, I'm on the name. They haven't made a Napa for them and have for years. Um, and that works out fine. They'll pick it up and... The family lives in Tiburon and doesn't have to worry about it. Just wine yeah. gets dropped off at their door, and that's how they want it. That's the way I liked it, the wine business. That's the way I want to be in the hey, wine business. Hey, give me a call. Why the hell did you take that <laughs> I want on? I just want to have a piece of land where people come, they make the wine, and then they just drop cases off at my front door. All right, we can talk after the interview because I've got some space. Okay. Right. You just got to get the land. Yeah. <laughs> and the vineyard. Yeah. And the finances. And a, and, a, and a vineyard manager. Um, so this is a, some Fountain Grove. Capronc, and then I also sourced some from a Chalk Hill AVA vineyard just outside of Windsor, um, both at about a thousand feet. So as a crow flies, I mean they're not five miles away from each other, but it takes me four to five minutes to drive from one to the other. More if there's traffic on one. Exactly, which means it takes Always you longer. More, right? <laughs> um, and after a year and a half in barrel, I, I do about two years of barrel aging on my Shannon uh, Capronc. Excuse me. Um, after wait, wait. How long did you say? I do about two years. Two a year years. on the Shannon, two years on the Capronc. Wow. Uh, at a year and a half, I put together a bench trial you know, made a composite of the Chalk Hill. Uh, it's called Thalia Vineyard, is this uh, vineyard desert that I source um, for Fountain Grove. And then just for shits and giggles, I put a blend together. And the blend was exponentially greater than the sum of its parts. Like it just was. It was just better wine when it was together. So instead of bottling uh, a vineyard desert and an AVA, I blended it. And this is my proprietary uh, Ophelia Capron that I'll be releasing at the end of March of this year. And how did no one? How did no one have that name? Seriously, I don't know. And I'm maybe also not going to trademark it, so don't put it. Don't you spelled <laughs> it with the ph, maybe. Yeah, maybe instead of the f. Yeah, Ophelia. What movie am I thinking of? Well, man? there's a the song, song. There's a song yeah. by the, the Lumineers. Lumineers right now, which okay. was one of my, which was one of my favorite songs. It's also Greek for to help. Trading places with uh, Eddie Murphy. Eddie Murphy. That was Jamie Lee Curtis's uh, name, I think, in the movie. Mm. And she was she was the helper in that. Wow, <clears throat> shit got taking it way back. <laughs> yeah. Um, All right. But yeah, this uh, I entered this into the SF Chronicle competition. Just took home a double gold for it. 
which got announced last week. Congrats. So if anyone wants to try it out there, I'll be pouring it the 15th of February uh, at the SF Chronicle Tasting in Fort Mason. Good for you. Um, Wait, what day is it? It's the 15th of February. Everyone's having an event yeah. on the 15th no. of February. Uh, I am double booked. I had Your to beg garage, a friend. Uh, I was at the garage, supposed to be at the Garage East on the 15th, and yeah. I looked at my calendar and realized I'm also supposed to be at Fort Mason. So which one are you going to? I am to? free on Well, the I got a double gold. I'm going to Fort Mason. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> yeah, you need a job? No. <laughs> I think I'm going to stay home. I actually uh, begged, borrowed uh, friends of mine to help out. Uh, you guys actually interviewed Tom Gendel. Oh, yeah. Gordon right. wines. yeah. yeah. Uh, his wife, Michelle, is going to be pouring Gordon Anchor and T. Berkeley wines at Garage East. She's one of the great peoples of She is, of, of Sonoma County. World. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so she's helped me out of a bind. And so come and check out both Gordon Anchor and T. Berkeley at Garage East. But if you want to see. Wait, me how do you know Tom's wife? <laughs> question <of> that <laughs> No, she's, she's from Sonoma. I've known, yeah. her, I've known her forever. Part got, of the Gordon Anchor family. family. We, farmed, we planted and farmed for a long time the Gordon Anchor Ranch. Huh. Okay. Why do you do you know Tom's wife? Uh, she's a food stylist, right? No. Are we talking about the same Tom from Cliff Family? No, 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 no. Tom oh, Family. Tom, oh, Tom Anders. Oh, we're talking. Okay, Tom Gandalf. Remember and the Gordon? Yeah. Okay. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the show. Hey, I did the pairings for the <laughs> menu. No, what was? Right. Yeah, so no, you were supposed to tell. We were supposed to. Yeah, do what, that. what is up on the menu? Well, you right. guys started. Talking and I had to like right, he's got to print the menu, so I had to. All right, you guys want to know? Yeah. So what are we? Sorry, can we take a little break? Yeah, here absolutely, from, totally fine. Okay. I, uh, so this is so we're doing test kitchen on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. It's a six course menu, ninety five dollars. Then I offer a wine pairing for sixty five, and I always try and throw some cool stuff at it. Mm. So the first course is Hokkaido Diver Scallop Crudo with blood orange, agua chile, smoked Ooh. char roe, and mm. cilantro. So Shannon uh, Wong. Um, um, hold on. <laughs> Done. No. Uh, Sauvignon no. Blanc. So no. kind of a, yeah, a Groth uh, Sauvignon Blanc. Then second course. That's called inventory problems. Right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, fuck you, because you, you know what? Your, your wine was going with the Alaskan King and chili now crab, brioche, fried no. garlic, shallot, and cilantro. I was going to put Dane Sellers. Now I'm going to put Ansi and Pinot Gris. <laughs> That'll be delicious. Third course, Midnight Tagliatelle with Mascarpone, Radicchio, and Parmesan. So we're going to do some Paul. Like a Squiddy Midnight? Uh, you know, who knows? Fair enough. I don't get to taste this shit either. They just like throw <laughs> so you the menu. Look at it as it goes out. Fourth course, uh, Sturgeon with Heirloom Sweet Potato, New Zealand wow. Spinach, Bouillabaisse Sauce. We're going to do a little Pinot, a little McLaren Pinot with that. There you go. Ooh. And Sam, yes. you got the fifth course, the Iberico Secreto Romesco Calcot Spring Onion. We're going to do so a little 13 Valrossi. Well, uh, sounds yeah. perfect with that. And then uh, we'll do a little Farniente Dolce with the cheesecake with the Kishu mandarins and coconut snow. And that's, but this would have been, as so you're listening right now, this was three weeks ago. At Sunday, it was well past and it was very tasty. It was delicious. I'm sure it'll be yeah. delicious. Yeah. But that's Good. every Tuesday and Wednesday night. At uh, through February. Through February. So by the time this show airs... So we have a week and a half to catch it. You can maybe get to one last uh, right. one last deal. Okay, cool. Yeah. Sounds exciting. Yeah, yeah you we sound, ex- you sound terribly seats, excited. Right? <laughs> <laughs> he was so excited talking about his wines, and he's like, yeah, it sounds exciting. Well, none of my wines are getting poured, so, you know, it's... <laughs> 
<laughs> You're right. <laughs> Careful, Taylor. All right, well, my wine's getting poured, so that's my cue to leave before I say something. Like, piss off the wine buyer. <laughs> it's Sante. Uh, Taylor, it was nice to meet you. This, Sad, these, you these wines are uh, wines are delicious. I yeah, love thank you. Rock. Thank you. Yeah, yeah that's 17. Um, mm-hmm. So pretty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm really, really happy with, with how it's turned out. It's been bottled for seven, eight months now, so just enough time to come out of its shell. It's got, uh, it's got time. Yeah. Uh, and I will start selling that to my nascent allocation uh, 27th of March of this year. Just sold out of my 16 Cap Franc. So I've got a, a Darth of red wines right now. Yeah. It's great when you sell out of something. It feels nice. Yeah. So d- tell people how all that works with uh, the name of the website and then how, you know, how they can get the wines sure. and how that whole process works. Yeah, out. and you also have people can come taste your wines. Yes. Also, so yeah. please talk I'm, about I'm wearing that. a number of different hats. So uh, the winery is called T. Berkeley Wines. Uh, it's, it's actually my name. I'm Taylor Berkeley Boydston, um, and we spell Berkeley properly, unlike all those kids down in the city. It's B-E-R-K-L-E-Y. It's a family name of mine. My uh, great-grandfather fled the Austro-Hungarian Empire in the early 1900s, and Berkov was too Slavic when he got to Ellis Island. So Johann Berkov became John Berkeley, and I was named after uh, John Berkeley Jr., my grandfather. Okay. So honoring the family connection, but uh, tberkeleywines.com is my website. Um, you can find me always there, uh, often on the Instagrams at the same handle, uh, rarely on the Facebooks anymore, but yeah. doing my best to, to stay well, connected. Well, when you post on Instagram, does it, it flips over oh, to yeah. Facebook, but you don't really go on Facebook. Yeah, the nice, the nice lazy way of running, running Facebook right, these days. exactly. Uh, but Bart, you're right. I, uh, after about two years of doing my project solo and actually working uh, restaurants nights to you know, pay my bills, make ends meet. Uh, I got headhunted by a small uh, boutique winery in Napa's Diamond Mountain District. So on top of my day job of, of making and marketing my own wines, I'm also the winemaker for Teachworth Napa Valley, which is a uh, small estate Cabernet producer just outside of Calistoga. Will you spell that one for us? Sure. It's Teachworth, T-E-A-C-H-W-O-R-T-H. Okay. Uh, slightly more historic than myself. They, their first vintage was 2001. And they've been making about 300 cases of a state cab ever since. Uh, absolutely beautiful site, um, terraced onto the hills of Quail Mountain, which feeds into Diamond Mountain on that western slope uh, in the Napa Valley. And so I make their wines. I farm their vineyard. I make my wines. Uh, and when people come to visit us at the estate, you come and visit with me. So I have the ability to... Uh, host some tastings up at the property. And one of these days, I'll get you guys over there as well. Yeah, you had invited us over, and we had talked about, Brian and I talked about coming over and talking about both wineries, and um, as fate happens, you're here today. And it's just a reason to come over. We like to go on the road and... um, Take pictures. Yeah, see new places. Go somewhere for lunch. Well, we right. just got a new hot tub. Uh, and Wait, yeah. at the winery? So it's it was initially developed to be the primary residence for Walter and Joan Teachworth. They retired to the Napa Valley from Galveston Island in Texas, where they'd spent th- their whole adult life. Uh, Walter was in development in Texas. And so they bought a house in Santa Elena, and they were settling into you know life in the valley. He came home one day and told his wife that he thinks he might have just bought a piece of land. A piece of land was a 40-acre parcel of virgin mountainside uh, about a mile and a half south of Calistoga. <laughs> and they spent the next 10 years basically terraforming the entire wow. property. So uh, from Virgin Hillside, we have their primary residence, two acres of vines, uh, a winery, guest house, a pool, 
the whole shebang. Wait, so all the equipment is there too for for making the wines? Yeah, that was uh, that was the deal. It was an offer I really couldn't refuse. Yeah. So they're allowing you to make your wines there. Yep. Oh man, you're away from everyone. Got your own little peaceful, blissful little situation. Fully taking it uh, or taking it full circle and going back to to mountain man lifestyle. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Oh, I, actually, awesome. I should I should uh, back that up. As of September first, uh, I'm actually living on the estate as well, in exchange for farming the vineyard. So. Damn. You'll get, you guys will never see me again. They can't get me down the mountain anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, if people come up to the estate, uh, either for Teachworth or T. Berkeley wines, they can taste with me. Um, and we do a sampling, a smattering of both our wines for each of the tastings. That's awesome. Yeah, Congratulations. Cool. Thank you. Yeah, uh, talk to me in about a year and we'll see, uh, right. see if I can make it all, right, exactly. <laughs> keep, it all right. keep it all juggle up in the air. All right. What, what was this last one that I had? This was... So that would have been the 2017 Ophelia. That was the Ophelia, right? So yeah, okay. we, went with, we went with Sold Out first, yeah. and then uh, my newest release, which will be coming uh, end of March. Okay, and that's why we st- still don't have a back label on it? Yep. Uh, okay. Well, that's my own fault. So I, I really lucked out when I started this project. Um, Bart, I'm sure you can attest to this too. When you start a wine label, you beg, borrow, and steal all the help you can get, and after nearly 10 years of working in Sonoma County, I had a really fantastic network that supported me the entire time. Uh, and one of those contacts was a gentleman by the name of Chuck House, who uh, I've known his family for years, and he does wine label design here in the mm-hmm. Valley. And I reached out to him for his advice on who I should work with because his abilities are well above and beyond what, what I can afford. And out of uh, an unbelievable generosity, he was willing to work with me on, on this label. So he's currently hard at work on a slight tweak that will identify what is in my wines going forward. Cause you can see on my label, it's pretty minimalist. Yeah. I have my, I love it. I have my brand. I have the vintage date and that's it on yeah. the front label. Yeah. Uh, and Chuck's actually working on some way to put what the vineyard name is or the AVA name is on the front label. Cause my plan is to have multiple, hmm. uh, SKUs of Cap Franc and I want to be able to differentiate between the, the different bottles. Right. I'm, I'm just a suggestion just from looking at the label. Instead of going left to right, I would go top to bottom. Hmm. Do you know what I'm saying as far as the vineyard designation? I do it up here because or? it's no, I think no oh, just on the label because like it has sort of an yep. Asian uh, feel to it. I've gotten that. Yeah, it has an almost calligraphic yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. look to it, and it's it is raised too, which doubles down on that. Yeah, um, yeah I, I I think that would be cool on the left hand side to go, just run that vineyard down. name down. Yeah, be sweet. That would be cool. No, I love and the then, like deboss it too. If you, can, if you can afford that. <laughs> Small scale, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah, but it's amazing how it adds up, right? Well, I mean, yeah. I, you talk to any label guy, they'll say the, you know, the, the 2,000th label costs the same as the 5,000th. It's that first one is right. where all the money goes. Right. right. So. Yeah. Well, it's, it's getting to the 2,000th label. <laughs> <laughs> Bart's wife is home and she's like and she's there's a wolf uh, yeah. yes. so for those of you who can't see what's going on uh, I recently adopted a one year old German Shepherd husky wolf mix who's out playing with Bart's Aussie Shepherd and they might have just attacked Bart's wife so <laughs> that, that wasn't a wolf Terry <laughs> sorry about that she's very kind when you get to know her <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so the, she has a collar. It's okay. So those of you who come to the winery, Willow is not a great white wolf. She right. is, uh, I promise, a dog. Um, but, but does a little hunting or no? So we're still working on our off-leash. Um, the property has five acres of fenced-in landscape, forest, vineyard, whatever. 
And, you know, eventually she's going to have free reign of the place, but I just picked her up a month ago. So we're still okay. trying to yeah. figure out where our boundaries are. And I don't totally want to go chasing after her on a yeah. mountainside all day long. So yeah, this, the, the Aussie that we have right now is the first dog I've had in my life that I don't have to worry about him. Like yeah. if I call him, he will come back because nice. he's so tied to me. Um, but every other dog I've had, I've had to <laughs> chase all over mountains. She's she's smart as a whip, and we'll get there. Um, still figuring out our boundaries, but yeah, I mean, I have uh, eighteen chickens at the property, and so every morning we get up and we take a walk inside the fence down to the chickens, and then I put her back on leash. We walk outside the fence and go feed the chickens, and come back and we go off leash again and run around. And so we'll we'll get to where she can start hunting all the raccoons that I have accumulated right. over the and over the stay generations. away from the chickens. Yeah. Well, yeah. the chickens are outside the fence, thankfully, and inside their own chicken palace. So, okay. Dogs are tricky, though, man. They'll da- they'll go under or over. <laughs> this is coming from a cat owner. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, I should probably, and a rabbit owner, and uh, you guys have had hamsters. I have everything yeah. that dogs like to chase. <laughs> yeah, exactly. maybe that's part of the problem. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, we've got a we've got a seven foot deer fence around the the entire uh, developed part of the property, and so if she can get over that, man, she deserves it. Oh <laughs> uh, wow! So how many people d- actually do that? I mean, and is it only on? I mean, obviously, it's where there are deer. So so a lot of times you're talking about mountain sure. vineyards. Ours um, is a practicality. Um, we are on uh, an elevation of seven hundred to nine hundred feet. Both East State Park is right behind us. I mean, it's it's forest. So. Right. Deer love fresh shoots. They love flowers. If if we hadn't put up, if we if the teacher family hadn't put up a fence when they put in the vineyard, they long ago wouldn't have had a vineyard. Wow. So uh, it's it's pretty essential up there in the hills. And you'll notice all of. You know, I bet Laurel Glen, uh, Bettina was just on. She probably had, probably have a fence around their property too. I mean. Yeah, I mean, some places, you know, fencing is very expensive, and sometimes sure. you fence an entire property. Sometimes you fence, you know, your vineyard blocks, and just a matter of what's practical and um, and how it works for you, you know, site by site. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, because anything's be, got to be better than netting, right? I think that's well. It. So that's that's our catch twenty two, right? We've we've fenced in the property to keep the deer out, right? But the two acres of vines are immediately adjacent to the forest with a minimal riparian area. So birds still decimate the fruit every year. So I have to huh. net on top of having a fence as well. And, and wow. see, the thing about it is, is what people don't realize is that if you're surrounded by vineyard, then the birds are kind of balanced by the number of birds per acre of vine. But when you're in the middle yeah. of forest, like where you are, um, the birds can come in and just do, do what that. they want. Yeah. And, and I bought some fright kites. Uh, it's a company in Sonoma County that, that are great if there's somewhere for them to go. Cause when the, when the wind's blowing and the, the fake Falcon's up in the air, the birds go, well, to heck with this. I'm not hanging out with this guy. And then the wind dies down and the Falcon goes down and they go, all right, well let's come out of the trees and go back to uh, eating. So yeah, we realized this, I realized two years ago, but didn't have the nets and, and then did so this year that nets were pretty essential for us. And does it normally go on just, I mean, what time of year do you put the nets on? So obviously it's not, it's not right at bud break. I mean, we're no, talking no, no, about- no, they go on a version. So okay. nice part about, uh, it's actually, birds don't notice whites as much. It's not to say there isn't any, any uh, bird damage in, in right. white varietals, but they're not as aggressive. But once the fruit turns from, starts to ripen up, turns from green to, to red or purple, birds know, oh, hey, this, like is, this is time. And they are flying refractometers. They are amazing yeah. with their ability yeah. to grab yeah. the ripest fruit. So what I realized uh, after the 2018 vintage of a Teachworth was that 
we don't have enough fruit to not justify the manpower hours of putting nets out. So as soon as the grapes uh, start to ripen up, we go through and do our last pass. We do a, a green drop. We take out the last leaves that we want to, and we net the whole thing down and, and have to uh, bread clip pretty much everywhere. Do you feel like that slows growth at all because you're sort of cutting off some of the sun exposure? No. No, okay. because the bird netting and, you know, shade cloth, which we've started to see in certain places, yeah. it's it's very different. You know, bird cloth uh, or bird netting lets all sun through, where okay. people start using shade cloth on the sunny side of vineyards that really, you know, would does reduce, probably slows down some of right. the ripening or at least keeps it from burning. Which, yeah, that's the, that's the purpose, I think. Yeah. So I, I haven't noticed any, any difference. But what I have noticed is that I get to keep, you know, an extra 250, 500 pounds of fruit, which yeah. when you're only getting four tons is significant. Yeah. Yeah. Next up is letting Willow head out for the, for the raccoons because they will strip a vine dry. It's really amazing. Really? Like birds, birds are assholes, right? They peck at one berry, jump to another berry, peck at one berry, jump to a third berry, peck at that and berry. And when you pop one berry, it sort of affects the rest of the cluster. Well, too, it's just going to sit there and rot, right? Yeah. It's going to drip. It's going to drip juice down. Yeah. The, the uh, ants are going to go at it. I mean, there's a school of thought that they don't really care about the fruit. They just want the, b- the bugs once they've attracted them to the fruit. Hmm. Um, so they'll decimate an entire side of a cluster, which means that whole cluster shot. Yeah. I at least give, I guess, raccoons some credit because they'll go through and eat an entire vine, eat every berry off of every cluster on an entire vine. But at least they ate the whole damn thing. Yeah. Right. Right. At least I didn't have to throw it out because half of the half of the cluster's rotten and the other half is fine, yeah, but it's starting to go, more, yeah. you know, starting to get VA and, and go south. Right. So. <laughs> right. Perils of small mountainside vineyard totally. management. Those yeah. raccoons with opposable thumbs. Oh, man. And they get out of traps. It's crazy. And they get out of traps. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Yeah, we got one that tries to get into, you know, we leave the garage door cracked a little bit so the cat can come mm-hmm. in and out at night because, you know, sometimes it'll start raining. But we got a raccoon that will try and pop his head in every now and then, try and get at the cat you food. You love some cat food, and, yeah. uh, or or a cat for food. Um, you know, I, we have a feeling that they're friends. Okay. Because we got a cat that kicks ass on on possum and and mice and rats and everything. And other cats, especially, he likes to just beat the crap out of. But for some reason, him and this raccoon, I think huh. they're buddies. Maybe they've, they maybe they've raided one too many trash cans together, and you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know, but it's a weird, it's a weird relationship. So, All right, Taylor. So you have the Chronicle competition and the Garage Teast um, tasting coming up. Anything else? Anywhere else you're going to be? Um, uh, I, I believe we'll be pouring at the Stars of LA Cabernet tasting um, mid March. I think that's the either 15th or 22nd of March. Um, I had mentioned in brief passing that my new wines are coming out the 27th. Yep. Um, I've started up a little bit of light distribution in Southern California. Uh, hopefully sending some wine to Illinois, my home state this year as well. Uh, nice. the rest of it is going out to uh, an allocation style model, uh, with wines being released on my birthday, March 27th every year. I guess I'm a glutton for punishment. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you can sign up for that on my website, tbrooklynwines.com. Uh, I just recently launched the allocation sign up page, um, and yeah, I've got a couple of placements here in, in the North Bay area. If you're down at the farm shop restaurant in Larkspur or uh, Santa Monica, they're carrying my wines. Just That's a nice placement. It is. Congratulations. They're, well, a friend of mine's the beverage director is doing great work okay. with their cocktail program and, and helped me get a foot in the door. Cool. Um, turns out Larkspur loves rosé. So. Yeah. yeah, there you go. <laughs> Imagine that. 
<laughs> what are do we talk about price points on the wines? We did not yet. No. So uh, we started off everybody having my eighteen rosé cab franc. That's twenty five dollars. My seventeen Shannon is thirty, and my soon to be released uh, seventeen Ophelia cab franc is forty five. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and right now, for a very limited time, I, I pulled aside my last three cases uh, that I can spare of my sixteen leaning oak cab franc. And I've got that up in a uh, three-pack, two Shannons and a Cab Franc um, on my website. It, with promo code Leonoke, I'll cover shipping for you. And yeah, it's the last chance to get any of that first vintage 2016 before I lock it down to library for as long as I can stand and not drink it. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that, what, is, what is the you know, ageability kind of the, for Cab Franc? Because we're talking about... You know, not as not as much tannins, right? As uh, we're talking for Cabernet Sauvignon, depends on the style. I mean, Cab Franc is fifty percent of the parentage for Cabernet Sauvignon. Uh, Cabernet Franc and Sauvignon Blanc were crossed, and one of their offspring, genetic offspring, was Cabernet Sauvignon. So, you know, I like to think of Cab Franc as often a rustic Cabernet. Mm-hmm. Um, I do like that more rustic character to it. I like the varietal character to it. I don't want it to be a Cabernet. To that end, uh, the 17 Ophelia has a lot of tannin, yeah. and I think it's gonna. I mean, yeah. I think it's only just now drinkable. I mean, I opened a bottle six months after uh, I'd put it to bottle, and it was still just way too taut, way oh. too tight. So, you know, it's it's a 10 year wine with that tannin structure. Oh. Okay. 16, the vineyard had a little bit of red blotch. The vines are a bit older. It was a different site. That wine, you know, isn't going to be as uh, ageable. It was my first wine, my first baby, so I'm saving 10 cases for the library because I have to, I, I, sorry, not have to, I want to. Yeah. Um, and I want to see also how it evolves. Well, they, and the amazing thing about that is, is that you'll think that there's a wine that it's past its time, or maybe you just think it's not going to be any better. And you walk away from it for a couple of years and you pull it out and you're amazed at how good it tastes. So, you know, they're living things. They're always evolving. Um, so you, mm. you, you, you may be really excited. You kept 10 cases. I wish you had more. Yeah. It's freaking delicious. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. It's got like mocha and blackberry and yeah, it's just awesome. Yeah, really nice wines, really nice. I'm I'm really happy with the way they turned out and and looking forward to finding some more fun Cab Franc sites to work with. That's my yeah. you know, my my 2020 plan on top of you know farming a vineyard and selling as much wine as possible is just trying to find some fun Let's new. Get the word out there. Anyone's well, got some know, Cab Franc. Our our good friend Danny Fay has a Cab uh, Franc. Yes, he does. Vineyard up in Actually, so, Kenwood. Funny story. Alex Kanzler of Kanzler Family Vineyards oh, yeah. is, one of, is one of my closest friends. We have the exact same birthday, 27th of March, 1986. He was one of the first people I met when I uh, worked my first harvest here in, in Sonoma mm-hmm. County. Been friends ever since. He hired Danny Fay a couple years after I met him. Well, Danny and I crossed paths in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. He was doing his master's thing that I can't quite remember, his, his um, program and traveling the world filming biodynamic wineries and stumbled on a Felton Road back in 2011 when I was living down there. And so we reconnected here randomly at a, uh, at a man meal. We all got together and had you know, steak at, at Starks. And yeah. this guy rocks up and I went, hey, hey, I know you. <laughs> and I was goes, wait, what do you mean? I just hired this guy. So it's, that's how small this wine world is. Okay. Uh, and well, yeah. so Danny's always, or you know, he was looking for someone to take some of the fruit from that Cabernet Franc vineyard. Well, Danny, man, all you got to do is call me. <laughs> and... Um, uh, he always asked me if I was interested in it, and I just didn't have the program for sure. it. So, yeah, well, D- Danny's listening because Danny's going to be on the show again talking about his yeah, uh, new maybe, release maybe of Hill Taro. So, yeah, they're, yeah, they're releasing theirs. 
and you know, emulation is the sincerest form of flattery. They're on uh, what St. Patrick's Day. Yes. And so I'm I'm yes. doing my birthday a couple of weeks later. I actually just ran into his <laughs> wife too at a direct consumer symposium down in Concord. So nice. that's how small this industry is. Yep. Oh, well, and all good people too. All right. Want to get any last thoughts, shots? You know, I'll just say it again. Thank you to everybody uh, getting contacted right now by people who are planning trips out and um, talking about going to visit the people that we have on the show. So thank you, listeners, for um, for doing that. Um, you know, check out um, Taylor's Wines while you're out here at this time. Yeah. Um, thank you for all the support of my brand and um, and, and the Winemakers Podcast. And um, yeah. uh, we're looking forward to meeting you guys when you're out here and... Um, drink more wine. Yeah, if you want to <laughs> see, drink uh, more wine. you want to see if you want to try Bart's wine paired with food. You can don't come see me at Sante because <laughs> Bart was an asshole. I took it off the pairing, but you can go see uh, you can go see Ruben at Qua uh, in San Francisco, and I'm sure he's got which a nice, is a, which a is nice an awesome placing placement. Totally right. It is. It is. It is. Thank you. You get some Ryan. billionaires calling you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, if they want some Shannon, call away. Right. right? Exactly. <laughs> Drink more Shannon Blanc. We, I, you know what? I totally agree. It, it, it is definitely one of my favorite um, varieties of wine to drink and, and love yours, by the way. Thank you. Yeah. Really nice. All right. Thanks for bringing the wines. Absolutely, guys. Totally Thanks appreciate for having me. It's great community you guys are building here. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. We, well, we... We like you guys. Yeah. <laughs> We're glad. We are. Yeah, we like your fun. wines. Yeah, it's all good. All right, you guys, um, leave us a review and um, do us a favor and subscribe. What happens when you subscribe? Well, when the new show comes out, it just pops right up on your phone. And you can listen on the way home because it definitely will make you thirsty. Right. So you, you don't have know. to listen to your kids and, <laughs> and you know who you are from that comment. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Little personal, the little personal <laughs> shot out there. <laughs> All right, you can also check out um, past episodes. Just go to radiomisfits.com and um, download some of the past 132 episodes or something. So wow, really? Yeah. Keep Man. on chugging along. Good work. All right, you guys. Thanks for listening. We'll look forward to talking to you next week. Cheers. Thanks.